Hello, my name is Chris Ryan. My name's Andy Greenwald. And we are the co-hosts of The Watch, a pop culture podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network. We are on Mondays and Thursdays. We mostly talk about TV, movies, music, pop culture. Jeremy Renner, house flipping, the papacy, Reese Weatherspoon dancing at wedding videos. We used to talk about Kanye West. He's, he's in the like timeout corner right now, though. Never, ever talk about Christine Baranski. You can listen to The Watch on Mondays and Thursdays on SoundCloud, iTunes, anywhere you get podcasts. Subscribe now. And thanks for listening. It's a good hang. Welcome to the Ringer NFL Show. My name is Robert Mays. I'm a writer at The Ringer. Joining me on the other line, it's Kevin Clark. Kevin, how are you? Combine week. How can you not love it? It's Combine Week. We're going to get into that a little bit. We're going to hit on some of the news that's crept up over the last week or so. You know, the type of news that happens at this time We're in the calendar. We're putting news in quotation marks here, Yeah, Bob. exactly. Because, I mean, what happens with this stretch right now is that none of the big stuff happens because a lot of that stuff is going to transpire because of conversations that happen in Indy. Right. Now, we talk about guys running around in underwear, and that is really what people see on television. But for the most part, the most the important things that happen in Indianapolis happen off screen, and there are seven different versions of those. But one of them is a lot of agents are there. A lot of conversations happen about who's going where, free agency trades. So I think that after next week, we'll have a lot more clarity on the where the big names are going. But some smaller names have gone places. Some things have happened in the last week or so. Yeah, it's really interesting. A lot of times when big things happen in the NFL. You can trace it back. You'll be talking to an executive in October or November, and they'll say, oh, well, that started when we were talking to this assistant GM at Steak and Shake at 3 in the morning at Combine. Yep. I mean, yep. so many things happen. And I think this year, where sort of the specter of certain people is more important than the people in the draft, whether that's uh, the, you know, the, the the rights to Garoppolo, whether that's when Tony Romo becomes available and, and how and, and you know what mechanism is it going to take to get him. Um, there's so many things. It's that's going to be sort of deal making. Um, you know, it, that's going to be a deal making activity, and that's going to start this week. Yeah, absolutely. We'll get into some of that stuff, just kind of the things we're looking forward to about the combine, whether it be some of those coaches and what they're going to say, who's going to work out and what we think might happen there. But let's do some just house cleaning stuff with things that have happened in the last week or so. This is a time where the only guys that can sign are guys with their own teams. So we're going to see a couple of those over the next week, I'm sure, before so Earl Mitchell, opens. Earl Mitchell signing with the well, Niners. Yeah, I mean, if you get Niner. cut or if you are with your own team, it's the only way you can cash in right now and we had a couple of those and Earl Mitchell's one of them and these are deals that I find interesting because I feel like these kind of mid-range contracts can really help you if you do it the right way and both him and Mario Addison got them yeah. and I like them both as players I would have been curious to see what Earl Mitchell would have gotten if he had you know waited a little bit and what Mario Addison would have gotten if he hit free agency so Earl Mitchell got a four-year deal with 16 million six and a half guaranteed that's a real contract like that's yeah. much more than like a Keem Hicks, well, especially got from the Bears when there last was year. a lot of criticism of him in Miami last year. I mean, playing next to Sue, I, I think people thought he should be a lot better last year, and, and he wasn't. I think he's a solid player. Yeah. I feel like for if you're the the Forty ers that's already the strength of your team is that area yeah. of it. You have all the money in the world to spend. I guarantee you, none of that guaranteed money is going to be on the books past 2018 when he's 30 years old. So when, for a team like San Francisco. 
there's really no downside. I mean, like you get a guy for a reasonable deal. You're not going to have to pay him when you have to pay everybody else. He's a solid player. This allows you to reach competency maybe a little bit quicker than you thought you would on defense. Yeah. Um, you know, Mario Addison, I, I did not see those numbers coming. I did not see, know that the Panthers' internal evaluation of, of him was so high. Um, but I can you, can you can make a case, especially when I think that I think people don't realize, you know, the cap's going to rise every year. Essentially, we're going to get into sort of NBA style funny money here in the next couple of years, and the, and the bigger contracts are going to look tamer and tamer as we go along. So here's my thought about that. I agree with you that I didn't think the, their internal evaluation of him would be so high because they don't let him play. Yeah. And then when he does, I've always been very impressed, but they keep him very small because he plays special teams for them. So if you're going to give him that sort of contract and say, okay, now you're going to be a real pass rusher, why wouldn't you do that two years ago? Yeah. Because it's not as if this team has all these crazy good edge guys. They they could have used another body. Like It just doesn't make sense to me that you just let him not do that for you when you think he's capable of it. Mario Addison once told me he hates playing Sunday night football games because he misses The Walking Dead. I understand that. I wouldn't blame him. Loves I like the watching one, that stuff loves live. Loves the 1 p.m. games. I mean, hey, I don't blame the guy, and that's just another point in him. So maybe that's what, maybe he me. was just leaving the games early, Robert. That's what I'm saying. Oh, so that was the thing. Yeah. They just they didn't feel he like they could count leave on him. Leave at halftime. Yeah, it was a real problem. No, um, I don't know. And I if mean, he's a gunner and he leaves, and it's not as big of a deal as if he's just starting right, to Right, right. No, I, I think he's a solid player. I just think that I don't know. I mean, I I I would have been very curious to see what the open market brought for a guy like Mario Addison. Especially when you know, look, this is a deep draft for pass rushers. I don't know. I mean, it was. I I I think the Panthers are an extremely smart organization, but I I maybe will look back on that contract and say they paid him too much. I might too. It's such a weird deal. I mean, he got eleven and a half million dollars guaranteed. He's never made more than one point three million in his career in a single season. It's just it's very odd to see a guy at 29 get this sort of contract. I thought he was a player capable of getting it. Again, their treatment of him was just kind of fascinating. And I I yeah. would have if they gave him this, you probably assume he could have gotten more if he had hit free yeah. agency. Yeah. I know. I I wonder if they they knew that there was an appetite for this and and that he was the type of player that the teams would overpay. Yeah. But again, I'm sure I don't know would. I don't know how. I don't know how you would have the evidence. I don't know. I think that you'd have the evidence if you're another team. I mean, I like the guy, and I—that's not what I do. So I'm sure some front office nerds have watched him and been like, <laughs> "You don't. Yeah, let's you, do this. What you do is uh, you like football players. I like football players, but I, my job isn't to find guys that happen to be free agents. I mean, you know how these free, these front offices work. I mean, there's some dude in a dark room that's been watching Mario Addison cutups for three months. Oh my God! Could you imagine? Yeah, I could actually. Could you imagine I, the guy who's just been watching Mario Addison for three months, and then you you you, you find out that that he's not going to be available, and you've oh, watched yeah, all these the clips? That would be really terrible. You but, haven't showered in three months. You haven't seen your family. Just I mean, all Addison all the time. But there's a lot of dudes that, that that's what they do. That, that's exactly how they spend their that's time. What you do, and you don't even get paid for. It. You just watch Mario Addison. That's a really good point. In your free time. One of the other bits of news that we should definitely hit on, I mean, if you're talking about bigger names, Nick Mangold got released by the Jets. I mean, this yeah. is the type of stuff that doesn't surprise you. No. He had a big cap hit for a center. He's going to be 34 years old, coming off a pretty injury-plagued season. And the Jets, 
there's no reason to keep, have continuity when you had the season the Jets had last year. No. You might as well figure out how to spend a little bit less, especially when it comes to aging players at positions you could probably find a replacement. Yeah. So, I mean, seven-time Pro Bowler, great Jet. Really one of the, you know, not counting Dor Rivas, who's played for two other teams, you know, really the last link back to, you know, not only the Rex Ryan Jets, but the Mangini Jets as well. Um, he's been around since 2006. Oh, six. Oh, my God. Oh, six. Um, and so, I mean, look, there's not much you can say. Old, you know, 33, he can still help a team. It's just a matter of, you know, look, offensive line is such a weird, especially center, is such a weird position, and only that, you know, okay, maybe, you know, Seattle needs a center, but wait, Seattle needs these ultra-athletic guys. I mean, it's not just that teams are going to need centers. You know, maybe the Browns are a fit. I don't know. Um, but, you know, not only do you need to find a team that needs a center, but then you need to find a team that, that wants maybe a slower, older guy who's just going to maul people instead of maybe ultra-athletic. And so, uh, I, I can't even begin to guess landing spots for Mangold, but you know th- those are two right there. Obviously, he's not going to go to Seattle because he doesn't have you know he doesn't have what Tom Cable's looking for. Yeah, it's it's a position that scheme fit matters more than people give credence to, but it is a position that if you get a guy that can still play a little bit like he can, that does fit your scheme. You we saw what happened with Alex Mack last year. I yeah. mean, Alex Mack's a better player at this point in his career Younger. than Nick Mangold is, but even like Ben Jones in Tennessee. It's a spot where if you upgrade from absolutely atrocious to pretty good player, it matters a huge deal. I mean, it's it just is a that's a position where a level of competence and level of talent can you see it. I mean, just because it affects everything else. So I think that if a team wants him in their scheme, thinks he can fit, he can make a difference next year somewhere, even if it's just for a season. Yep. Yeah. No, I mean, it's just. I'm. I'm. That's. That's one. That can go either way. I mean, he could be a great. If he finds a perfect fit, he could be an Alex Mack type. You know, veteran who puts an offensive line over the top. That'd be great. I. I think he's a good guy. I'd like to see that. I mean, I, it would be great for me. That's the. That's the type of thing I enjoy is watching how offensive linemen affect each other. As I wrote last week, I'm like very excited about how T.J. Lang and Kevin Zeitler are going to get paid in free agency. That's the type of stuff you have to get excited about at this point in the What's calendar. What's T.J. Lang going to get paid? I mean, I think he gets paid a lot, a, right? I think he's going to get a little bit less than like the market setting deals at that position. You know, I don't. I think he's going to get less than Zeiler because he's a little younger. Or excuse me, he's a little older. I don't think it's going to be the type of deals we've seen for guys like, you know, Osemele. But I think he could get in the eight or nine million a year range. I would pay that to him. He's a really that's good about, player. That's, that's about what I was figuring. Yeah, and I think it's right at the top of the market, and we've seen that position really help teams. I mean, I, I feel like guard and interior offensive line spots are a good place to spend free agent money for that exact reason I just yeah. said. I think that if you can get to a certain level of competence, that's what you want from those spots. So, I mean, look at the deals the teams have handed out at those positions recently. I'd say the Andy Levitre contract is the only one that you'd really regret, right? I mean, Ayupati's been fine. Osemele was amazing. I think that if you hand out the money at that position, usually it works out better. It's it's less risky than at other spots. I guess that's what I would say. Speaking of Kevin Zeiler, what the hell are the are, are the Bengals going to do at offensive line? We looked at. I mean, the the Whitworth thing makes sense, right? Yeah. Like the Whitworth is thirty five. You use so many highly valuable resources at that position. Even if you aren't thrilled about those guys, even if the Eric Fishers and or excuse me. Eric Fisher? Jake, Jake Fisher. Jake Fisher. Jake Fisher. Eric and, Fisher. They wish they had Eric Fisher. Exactly. And Abui didn't play well last year, but 
you used enough picks. Like this was the plan. We, at some point, we have to see through that plan. At guard, that's not true. No. They don't have two first-round picks just sitting there waiting to replace Kevin Zeitler, who was their best interior offensive lineman last year. I don't know, man. It's falling apart pretty quickly over there. <laughs> yeah, you know, obviously the, we've gone over the Dalton Rodgers thing a million times, but you know, one of the things was I just thought that, that roster w- was was going to never get better than it was last year, um, and I thought that they, the, the Bengals were going to make a, a nice little run in the division. Um, that turned out to not be true, and and the, obviously the prediction was incredibly dumb. I think the Bengals could make a huge fall, and I'm not talking about seven or nine or six and nine. I'm talking about like four wins, five wins. I, mean, I think they could really fall off a cliff. I think that's a big fall just based on the baseline of talent that they have. But when you're, you know, we talk about this all the time, build me the most likely or unlikely scenarios for a team. Like what are the possible outcomes? I think that is one of the possible outcomes for the Bengals now well, where it the, wasn't. The line was so awful last year. Dalton, obviously in a vacuum, Dalton is a very, can exist as a very good quarterback. But in this scenario where he's getting beaten to the ground, like he's going to be bad next year. It's in play, and I feel like two years ago when they finished number one in a passing DVOA, the offense had every single piece around Dalton was what you'd want. Yeah. The line was so good, and you had, I mean, look back at that skill position group now. In fact, you had Sanu, yep. Marvin Jones, A.J. Green, a healthy Tyler Eifert, both those backs. I mean, that's a really good offense, and it looks nothing like that anymore. No. In two years, it has gone completely the other way. Brandon and LaFell. Yeah, and like I, Brandon LaFell's a good guy. I'm, I w- wish Brandon LaFell the best, but like he's not as good as Marvin Jones and Muhammad Sanu, and I think we all know that. And we saw it. I mean, when you don't have the help around Dalton, he's not the kind of guy that can just elevate everybody. I think in the right scenario, he's a fine quarterback, but you need to not have that many holes of Andy Dalton as your quarterback. Yep, totally agree. They're, they're, they're on my teams to watch for a big fall this year list. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you, man. All right, buddy. Um, we'll get into some more, you know, NFL news stuff as we go forward here toward free agency. It's also a weird calendar. The, the, this NFL calendar is kind of shitty because usually the combine is like last weekend. Sure. And free agency is March 11th. So we're not going to have any time between the combine and free agency. It's like two days. Yeah. I mean, but that that's kind of exciting because th- this draft is not particularly arresting. And so for me, I think the idea that everyone's going to be talking about Tony Romo, everyone's going to be talking about Jimmy Garoppolo or even a Mike Glennon, see where that falls. I mean, I, I think that could be really interesting to me. Um, and, and that's going to soften the blow of the fact that Mitch Trubinsky might be a top five pick. That's fine. But I really would have liked a week to actually dig in more, even like more podcasts and more whatever for free agents. It's going to be like two days. We're going to get back from India. It's like, oh, free agency starts today, which I, that's not my favorite. But again, that's like inside baseball stuff. No one cares about. That's just my own the way I'm thinking about it. Yeah, no, I'm, I, I'm, I'm OK with this setup. I mean, this is not if there was a, a, a franchise changing quarterback or there was like it was last year where teams were trading up to get Carson Wentz and Jared Goff, which I thought added a level of intrigue. I think that's a little different, but this is kind of a snooze fest. Yeah, it kind of is. But I mean, even with that, there is stuff to look forward to in Indy. I mean, there is every year and it's not just the players. And even if it is the players, it's not just the big name guys. So I just wanted to talk about a couple things we're looking forward to. You know, what you think is we're taking from the week what you're going to be watching for. So let's just start with you. I mean, what's the first thing that when we get there later this week, it's going to be on your mind? 11 a.m. on Wednesday, Ted Thompson. 
his okay. press conference. Yep. Amazing. Great. Uh, there's going to be some pointed questions about their plan because, you know, I think that one thing we glossed over because it happened, you know, obviously during the playoffs and there were many things going on. Aaron Rodgers said they needed to be all in all the time. And that's that is a not so subtle hint at, the, at the, this regime, the Thompson regime, that they need to start getting a little more aggressive and figuring out ways to get. Um, the best roster every year, not necessarily always play the long game, not always draft and retain, um, or, or in many cases, draft and let go and draft again. Um, you know, I, I think you look at in, in hindsight, you know, Casey Hayward is someone last year who they let walk, and maybe that was a terrible idea. Um, and at the time, that was that was defensible, but you know, all of a sudden he's Mister Interception, and it, and it looks terrible. And, and you know, the, the secondary wishes they had that. Okay, um, so I'm I'm intrigued to see how he defends his plan, or even discuss discusses it. Um, you know, the, the, the other layer is that he, he's probably going to be as guarded as possible, but he, he hangs in there with the questions. It's actually kind of fascinating to watch. Um, he will answer every question. He just won't uh, uh, give you anything, but he won't duck it. He won't get annoyed. He, he, will, he will follow the line of questioning. So uh, it's going to be really interesting. The other part, uh, you know, Tom Dimitrov talks later in that afternoon. Um, just really intrigued to see what his plan is, how he's going to address, you know, it's been a couple of weeks since since the worst loss in Super Bowl history. Um, and how do you bounce back from that? What needs to be addressed? And Dimitrov, sort of the opposite of Thompson, he's going to be very um, insightful in, in how you go forward from here. What needs to be addressed? What did yeah. you identify as the as the reason that this happened and, and how do you solve it. So just just stuff like that. Um, you know, the first two coaches uh, who are talking in, in, in during the week are, are two new coaches, Vance Joseph and Sean McDermott, back-to-back. Uh, really intrigued to see both of their um, – I, I, I've never – been around for a head coaching press conference for either of those guys, obviously. Both of them I've seen talk as coordinators, but uh, just really intrigued to see some of the new faces around the league as well. Yeah, that's one of my favorite parts of this every year It's just the guys that I'm not for either one, I'm not familiar with, or two are new, or three don't talk about often. Yeah. There, there are some GMs that just don't make themselves available very often during the season, and it's good to just hear those people speak and just like even if they're caging even if they don't say anything of actual substance just what they're like and how they feel questions and sometimes you do get some insight you know like the first time i ever heard steve kime talk was at the combine and just when some people are actually willing to answer questions and kind of give you some insight and have a conversation that's that's interesting to me and dimitrov's one of those guys so those conversations are always worth watching to me and i like just kind of peeking in and and seeing what's being said and there are a few guys that are particularly interesting to me this year like sean mcveigh is yeah. on thursday at 11 30 like that is i will watch that like I, I will be there to see him talking about stuff like that and then john lynch is the same day or excuse me same day but a little bit earlier so just the guys that have never been there before, what their thought process is, just any sort of insight you can glean on either how they're going to be this forward-facing element for the team they work for, or if they do give you some insight on where the way they want to build their team. And sometimes it's a boilerplate, you know, this is exa- everyone says the same thing, we know what they're going to say, but there are times where that's not true. So I'll be curious to see you know th- those new guys. Anthony Lynn is that day. So the people we haven't seen in that situation before, that's one of the things that I look most forward to this week, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 what's interesting to me 
is always the, the lines in the sand that, that certain coaches and GMs draw around combine time. I think it was two years ago that Jay Gruden was very, very impassioned that Robert Griffin III was the starter, and it was his job, and, and they were going to stick with him. And then, of course, all of a sudden, Kirk Cousins not only gets a job, but is, has never looked back, essentially, and Robert Griffin is is not on the Redskins anymore. Um, and he, he's, he's not a good quarterback anymore. Um, and so... It's always interesting to see that. You know, there's always posturing. Jeff Fisher last year talking about pumping up Case Keenum. Um, oh, and Les Snead last year. I remember him doing yeah. like that weird math equation and just no, the, the fact that it was such the bullshit. Sam, the Sam Bradford thing, right? Oh God, it was about he was about Keenum. Oh, I think no, he was um, like Keenum. No, but um, but but uh, Snead also two years ago famously came out and said that like Sam Bradford is our guy. He's our guy. And then he was, you know, traded him 25 seconds later. It was amazing. That, that entire thing about how they could just really come out and say the exact opposite of what they mean and seem to believe it, I've always been impressed well, by that. Well, you can justify it by saying it's true right now. I'm sure, saying it's true. Sam Bradford's our quarterback right now. Now, in 27 seconds, when Howie Roseman offers a pick, then it's over. Of course. But it's still, I, I think I said last year after Snead did that, it was like, Man, either he is the greatest bullshitter of all time, or they really do believe in Case Keenum. And it turned out to be the former. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, it's always, it's just a funny event. I'm glad they do it um, as far as just getting all those guys up and talking. And, totally. You know, it's just a good way to, to start the NFL, um, NFL offseason. Absolutely. And, and for a lot of teams, I mean... This is the first time that guys are available since the season was over. Yeah. I mean, they do their post-mortem. Almost every team mm-hmm. does. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the beat guys haven't spoken to the head coach or GM since that post-mortem right after the season. I'm so into Marvin Lewis being the only coach talking on Friday. I don't know why he's doing that. He's talk- if you look, at the, if you look uh, at the schedule, it's like Wednesday's packed, Thursday's packed, but then falls off at noon. Then there's just empty slots. And then just Marvin Lewis at eleven fifteen on on, on and, Friday. And it's not like it's he did it at the beginning of the day. No. It was just you know no. they ran out of time. He's at eleven o'clock lunchtime Friday. <laughs> oh, that's really funny. I, I, that does look strange as I'm sitting here looking at this. Here we it's are looking at the combine media schedule. I mean, that's what we do at this time of year. I mean, it's not exactly chock full of action right now. <laughs> oh man. All right, buddy. What else? What else? What else are you looking forward to this week? Well, I, you know, I think we need to talk a little bit about how we value the combine because, yeah, I agree. As I get further and further, I think that there's a there's an initial when you start studying the, the combine, there's an initial thought that so many of these things are overrated because a lot of the more famous drills, the forty yard dashes, um, you know, that that sort of the, the shuttle, whatever. Um, those don't equate because you look and you see that Dre Archer has, you know, whatever 40 yard dash, and you go, well, Dre Archer's a bad player, and then you move on. I think that with this draft in particular, there's so many good defensive ends, and there's so many good linemen who need explosion. Miles Garrett, Jonathan Allen, Solomon Thomas, um, Barnett, the kid from Tennessee. In my opinion, we will learn so much about where those guys fall as soon as we see their vertical, their broad. Um, the three cone. And so for, for, for this type of draft, I don't know if you can get any more valuable than the combine. We talk, there are so many things that don't matter, and you're right. And they're, the, you know, the things that don't matter, they're like 40 yard dashes for quarterbacks. Right. You know, like shit like that. And also just 
the quarterback workouts. Yeah, throw I, everyone's like, oh, uh, uh, Trubinsky's going to throw this week. I, I, just I don't, don't care. care. You know, I, I saw uh, Trubinsky threw in, in North Carolina in college. He actually didn't even look that good. So, I don't care. I don't because I don't even know what I'm looking for. They're going to complete all the passes. <laughs> like, yeah. This is it's not going to look bad. So the degrees of good and bad. I'm not a quarterback coach. So this isn't something I glean a lot from. No. But with other stuff, it does matter. And you look Raw at... Raw uh, measurables for, for yes. positions where you need explosion. 100%. And there are guys in recent years that you saw do well that in the moment, it was like, oh, no, look, another workout warrior. And then he comes in, it's like, oh, no, he can actually play because he has the multiple school, multiple tools to where we can teach him to play. I kind of like. If, by Vic the way, Beasley, this Byron whole, Jones. Yes, yes. By the way, uh, and, and Bud Dupree. By the way, this whole thing about workout warriors has become so outdated because totally. you had you had this early run. Um, a lot of them turned out to be on steroids. The guys in the eighties, um, you know, and and I, I don't actually want to say their names because I just said a lot of them turned out to be on steroids. But um, so you, it became this thing: you can't draft a workout warrior. And then you got into a little more modern, you know, guys like Matt Jones who are athletic, but maybe they didn't have a position. And now we're getting into a situation where if you can ball out at the combine, if you can have that sort of sparky with a Q. Uh, incredible workout formula, you're going to be good. It's it's almost impossible not to be good. And I think when you start looking at the teams that go really heavily off spark, the Cowboys, the Seahawks, um, the Steelers now, the Chiefs, uh, the Packers went heavy on spark last year. Those teams are winning, and there's a reason for that. And so I think the people who say, oh, the common has matter, whatever, I think they're looking at it j- just on the surface. I think that you have to pare it down. It's like anything, and, and, and the combine can be incredibly valuable. And that's why I love this week is because right now, I mean, for me, because I I don't see I haven't seen the raw measurables, and I know people love tape and all that, and, and I, I love tape a little less. I'm, I'm a little more of a measurables guy, I'm a little more of a, a process guy in, in the draft. I mean, to me, right now, pre combine ranking players is like picking 2018 Oscar nominations when, when they haven't even started filming on the movies. Um, and it's just until you know what a guy runs compared to the guy next to him instead of just, you know, what, what he looks like on tape, uh, I have a hard time making an evaluation. That's just a personal standpoint. And, and that's, you know, there are there are teams who, who feel the same way, but then there are teams obviously who just go off the tape. But I love the combine from a, from a raw evaluation data perspective. For, from the data, I enjoy it. And again, it's positions where the data matters. That's the important thing. And it, I spend so much freaking time on mockdraftable.com just in my yeah. life. Yeah. Looking at players and like, does it. And the, the reason that I like the combine, and I agree with you that there's sometimes tape can be misleading, but sometimes the numbers can be misleading too. It, it's a complete evaluation in my mind. I'm looking at, when I watch a guy on, on tape and then I look at the combines, do these things add up? Is there a disconnect here somewhere? That's what I'm interested in. And I don't think that one is necessarily more important or less important than the other, because a lot of the time you're going to see a dude that's crazy twitchy come in and learn how to play if he has the right coaching. And that's more important. You need a certain baseline of athleticism because it doesn't matter if you how skilled you are, how nuanced you are. If you don't get to that certain baseline, you're screwed. And, you know, Jarvis Jenkins, Jarvis Jones, excuse me, is a good example. Yep. You know, there are dudes who just aren't athletic enough. There aren't, they just can't get to that level. 
And we, we see that. And this is the week you learn that. There, yeah. That's the one thing with the numbers that I'm looking at. Aside from the, oh, man, this guy destroyed it, there is the, oh, he's just not fast enough. Yeah, well, it just doesn't matter, you know. You know what's interesting to me, Robert, and 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 this is a trend that's gone on the last couple of years. Coaches and GMs keep talking about how underdeveloped college players are, and, and what that means is maybe they're coming from an offense where they're only running two routes or uh, pass rushers, where you know be, because of the way the tackles are set up in the SEC or the Big Twelve or whatever it is, they only need one or two pass uh, pass rush moves. And so, what you need in that case is not necessarily the finished product or the guy who had three pass rush moves in the SEC, what you need is just raw athleticism and then the idea that, hey, we're just going to coach them up. And so when you talk about the combine, you're looking now, it, there's a little more focus on the performance of the combine because a lot of these teams, especially the smart teams, are saying, we're going to take these guys who can at least explode off the line and then we're going to make them into pass rushers because that's more valuable than just showing you know, a, a couple of moves uh, as a junior in college. Totally. And I also think that there's a way when we see the guys work out at the combine to discredit like whatever biases you may think have crept in. Like when JJ Watt worked out in 2011, there's this idea. And if you look at a lot of JJ Watt scouting reports, it's like, well, he tries hard. You know, he's a, he's a real gritty guy, he plays hard. And if you go look at JJ Watt's combine numbers. Yeah. They're fucking ridiculous. And the same was true for Aaron Donald. It's like, okay. Let's move on from whatever things we think we believe about size, about what being a white guy says about you. I mean, all this stuff. And let's see what actually is objectively true. What are these numbers that cannot lie because they're measurable stuff? That to me is interesting because when you look at guys that have been successful, a lot of those people have destroyed this. And the teams that took them probably allowed whatever kind of objective facts were there to cut through these things they think they believe about players because of these long-held beliefs they have about evaluation in general. 80% of the time, there's just a really bad pick. Yes. You hear some variation of this story, which is that the scouts and the front office people and the data people all said, this is our guy. And then a coach talked to a college coach and said this guy's got a great motor or whatever or this guy's got great heart and then just screws up the entire process and all of a sudden they're taking some guy you know who who has an explosion score of of you know 0.01 and the guy's flushing out of the league like i once used to if you only went off of the tape i i don't even know if i i don't even know if you should interview guys like maybe you shouldn't interview guys because I feel I understand the need to make sure your first round picks a good guy, but I think if you if you look at what you said mock draftable if you looked at just the most important drills for a D end for a linebacker for even a safety, um, if you just drafted the workout freaks you would more times not end up with the best player. That's probably fair, but I do think the interview stuff matters, and even if it's not interviewing that guy. I think interviewing people around him in the college, it can, I agree with you that it can go the wrong way. Like if you go, if you lean on that too much and that becomes something like, oh, he said that a certain coach said this, so let's do this. But I do think it could knock guys off for you in a way that will be helpful. Yeah. I mean, I feel like after a certain point, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Just like take, the third round. Yeah. <laughs> I would say after the first or second round, just yeah. start drafting the workout guys and, and let it rip from there. 
I totally agree. And a good example of that recently is like Daniil Hunter. Yeah. You know, a guy that just had no production in college. I'm sure his college defensive line coach wasn't raving about, you know, look at this guy, da 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 da. But if you look at how he worked out and you draft that guy, it's going to work out more often than not when you're not spending a super high pick. It's also, by the way, extremely um, numerous examples of college coaches who just totally ripped a player who became a massive success in, totally. in, in the pros. I mean, these are humans. You know, people have biases toward people in their life for one reason or another. You know, maybe the guy didn't work very hard as a freshman. Maybe yeah. he was a dickhead at 19. Like, so was I. You know, there are times where you just you have somebody that develops a grudge or has a, a certain set opinion of a person that isn't going to be helpful when you're trying to get a well-rounded evaluation. That's why you don't talk to that one person. Well, that was <laughs> with, with uh, Marcus Peters. Um, obviously, he was thrown off his team in Washington. And you know, Ian Rappaport, I think, reported that basically when the Chiefs were drafting him, they got two completely different character reports from the yeah. two staffs because Chris yep. Peterson was there and then whoever, I guess Sarkeesian was there. And he called both staffs and it was like they were talking to about different people. Yeah. Um, and then they ended up drafting him, and obviously it turned out really well. But Marcus Peters is an example of someone who maybe some teams would have been scared off by. Um, but, you know, well, he's pretty good, by the way. Uh, it, it's true. But when you here's the other thing you cannot discount about this entire process. These teams know everything about these guys. Yeah. Like everything. Everything. They, they, they have done every single bit of homework. And occasionally, in that Marcus Peters scenario, there can be information overload. Because if you're getting contradicting reports, that's when you really understand, how, it's when you really have to understand how to cut through what's true and what's not. And that's difficult. You know, that's not an easy thing to do. It's much easier said than done. Uh, any player you're really looking forward to seeing work out? I'm excited to see Miles Garrett. I think that there are a couple of those guys every year that I just want to see do what we think they're going to do. Jadevian Clowney was worth the price of admission that I didn't pay to go to the combine the year he did it. And there are those guys every single season. Beasley was that. It's crazy to see. It's When you watch a guy that's just that athletic, or like even when Aaron Donald ran his 40 a couple of years ago, it's like, good God, that is a big man moving yeah. that fast. Yeah, I, I like that stuff. You know, the, the big guys, the defensive ends, like a linebacker that can move. Those are the types of things. It's like, yeah, these. Like, like every week, I do the NFL players are nothing like us. That's when we start learning it. Is is when you see them run forties like that. Yeah, and, and and what I'm intrigued by is which of these defensive ends or pass rushers make a run at Miles Garrett. Is there going to be? Let's say Jadevian Clowney and and Miles Garrett are are similar, okay? As far as just being anointed and all that, and being being a runaway first round pick, I'm interested to see if one of these guys wants to be Khalil Mack. Um, is that Solomon Thomas? Is that you know? Obviously, it's a different position, but is Jonathan Allen going to be such a freak that that he he sort of forces his way into the the, the top pick conversation? Um, so that's it, and, and it's going to have to be just an insane workout for one of these guys. Yeah, but that starts happening now. Yeah, you know, that, this Vic, is the week. Yeah, Vic Beasley was not a guaranteed top 10 pick until the combine. No. Uh, Leonard Floyd was not a guaranteed top 10 pick until he ran and moved around last year. There are guys that definitely help themselves over the course of this process, and this is when it starts. And I think that more and more we found out that this is when it should. It should. They should be able to help themselves this week. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And I think that that's... It just goes back to what we're saying. The workout warrior is no longer a bad thing. 
And the other thing I'm, I look forward to this week is I like hearing from the guys. And it's not necessarily the big name guys. I feel like the quarterbacks, hearing them talk for the first time is interesting. You know, and you can understand where teams get led astray. And I remember where the first, I told this story before, in 09 was my first combine. And I heard Mark Sanchez talking. I was like, oh, yeah, I'd pick this guy. <laughs> and that's what you think at 21. It's just like, oh, yeah, he's charming. And he could be a quarterback. And you realize that that doesn't matter. Like, but it is interesting to hear them talk for the first time because especially with the quarterbacks, these people are going to be part of our lives for at least the next like five years. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting. I don't like hearing from the guys and this does not go back to the, you should never interview players after the first round thing, but it's just, I, I, I'm not a media critic and I, I hate this and I hate that I'm saying this, but like, I, they they get a lot of bad questions there, like a lot oh, of totally. bad questions, and it's like, do you want to play for the so and so? And it's like, well, yeah, they want to play for whoever so drafts true. them. I mean, like with the exception of Miles Garrett and like Jonathan out, like they'll play for any team that wants to pick them, and so yes. you get a lot of those. You get a lot. I remember a couple of years ago there was some safety who was just getting tortured by some draft nick about his hips. And the guy like didn't know what to say. My hips yeah. are my hips. Like, what am I? What am I supposed to do with my hips? Let me um, be clear. I like hearing from the quarterbacks because of the quarterbacks. <laughs> and two, I like the stuff that happens in like the smaller tables. Yeah, like a dude that you'll just see from some small school that just has like something interesting about him. Then like, I just think that that part is cool. You know, like this is important to them in this weird way. Like that's this process overall, and the smaller guys that aren't you know, from an SEC school or going to be a first round pick, but like just have something interesting about them and are like cool guys to talk to. I like that kind of stuff. Yeah. I just like bouncing around the room and seeing if you can glean one or two interesting things from what is pretty good access to the guys that no one else wants to talk to. Going to miss Jeff Fisher this year. Yeah, man. I didn't think about that. No, Jeff. He's somewhere carrying that puppy. He'll be around. He'll be floating around. I, that puppy's probably not a puppy anymore. The one he was holding in the airport. <laughs> the puppy's now a starting quarterback for whoever whoever hires him next. That's true. Somebody's going to trade like six first round picks for it. Mm -hmm. All right, man. I uh, I think that's all we got. We uh, we'll be back from the combine this week. Plan right now is to do some uh, shorter shows at the end of every day, just kind of let you guys know what we saw, what we thought was important, what we thought wasn't. So we'll be in your ears a lot this week. So look forward to that. And as always, we really appreciate you guys listening. We'll talk soon. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Today's episode was brought to you by The Ringer MLB Show. This week, Ben Lindbergh and Michael Bauman talked to Padres catcher Christian Bethencourt about being a two-way player. You can subscribe to The Ringer MLB Show at iTunes.com slash The Ringer or wherever you get your podcasts.